<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome to another weekend bonus episode of the Tech Meme Ride Home. I'm Brian McCullough. As I said on Friday, we're going to delve today into sports tech in a meaningful way for the very first time. Sports tech is basically, well, it's a lot of things. The streaming wars from a new angle, because where has sports been in all of that? This will be eSports. This will be the streaming wars surrounding game streaming. The new betting economy. This will be wearables and actual sports tech products. My guest today is Will Martin, whose sports tech newsletter is something you should definitely subscribe to immediately if you like this space. Link to sign up for the newsletter in the show notes. Will, thanks for uh, coming on the show to talk sports tech. Actually, what I should do at the beginning, because um, this is one of those spaces that I don't know very well, and I like to do these weekend episodes to to check in on and, and learn more about, um, you have a newsletter that I've subscribed to for the better part of a year now called Sports Tech Live. Is there any uh, quick and easy way for people to find that? Just Google around for it. Yeah, so it's a part of the Techstars uh, network. Um, so it's the if you go to startupdigest.com, uh, you can find a bunch of different topics there. Uh, sports Tech is one of those because uh, Techstars has got a couple of sports accelerators now. So if you go to startupdigest.com forward slash sports tech, uh, you'll be able to subscribe to the newsletter. And I highly recommend doing that, um, especially because mm-hmm. if you've got to interview somebody about this, it's very easy to just go back in the last few months and cherry <laughs> pick things to talk about. Um, but it's actually a fascinating space because it sort of overlaps with a lot of things that we do talk mm-hmm. about on this show. Um, I'd like to start with the the streaming wars uh, sort of Venn diagram <laughs> overlap mm-hmm. of it. Um, I, I've asked other people on these weekend episodes why thus far sports hasn't been a bigger part of the streaming wars so far. I assume that that's because, you know, there's these multi-year contracts that are already mm-hmm. in place, so it's hard to break into, it's super expensive, et cetera, et cetera. What's your take on that, why sports hasn't uh, been a bigger player yet? Yeah, and I think you're you're dead right with the, the multi-year contracts, especially in the U.S. Um, the big leagues like NFL and NBA, they tend to do longer contracts. Um, so five to seven years is kind of like a typical contract in uh, streaming or rights in uh, U.S. sports. Uh, but if you look at kind of a European kind of model, it's kind of more of um, a three-year kind of cycle is what they go through. So the Premier League is probably um, kind of on a par with the NFL in terms of overall contract size. Um, so that's where Amazon have kind of creeped in uh, in the last 12 months. Um, so we're starting to see the, the tech giants kind of coming in. And, you know, in three years' time, we'll be talking about the NFL uh, doing new contracts. And, you know, the all signs point to the tech giants being involved there as well. So I think it's still bubbling in the, the sports sector, um, but I think it's definitely coming. Let, let's talk about that um, the Premier League streaming thing. Um, the listeners of the show know that I, I'm a Premier League fan, and um, so I guess it was last month um, Amazon yep. did uh, it, its first uh, weeks of, of Premier League streaming, and there was a lot of talk about how – because, you know um, – 
uh, illegal streams are mm-hmm. huge in Europe, especially for, for soccer stuff. Um, and so it was interesting for me, you know, just from the podcast I listen to, the subreddits that I go to mm-hmm. for my, for my football news to see how everyone was talking about the, the tech angle of it and like, you know, the customization and how you could look at different cameras and things like that. So, yep. so tell me more about what Amazon did with their, their streaming there. Right. So actually, I'm based in Ireland. So Ireland was kind of excluded from the Amazon deal. But yeah, I've had friends in the UK. Um, and I got them to like kind of show me their screen as they were watching it. Um, so essentially, what Amazon kind of did was allow a lot more kind of user choice. Um, so yeah, as you say, you can like choose which camera angle you want to use. And, you know, Sports has gone from like seven cameras in a stadium now to like 35. Um, so there's a lot of options. A lot of camera angles might not show you much all the time. So if you are in that mode, you're probably swapping around and camera one is probably like your your bread and butter. Um, but having that option really kind of gives a lot of control to the end user. Um, people could also like turn off the commentary. Um, so you could just have the stadium noise, um, which is great as well. And it kind of shows the potential um, for the future broadcasts, you know, like different languages, um, different podcasters, maybe. Right. I was having... going to say, you could even swap out commentators or, or the announcers, as we would say in the States here. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that that's, that's huge uh, potential uh, for the future to allow more customers because um, you know a lot of announcers they know a lot of stuff but they're not everybody's cup of tea um, oh you know what's something that just occurred to me <laughs> speaking mm-hmm. as a podcaster um they could set up some sort of a platform where it's like uh l- <clears throat> let my favorite podcaster do the commentary mm-hmm. and then like y- you know some of the money could kick back to them and that sort of thing yeah exactly and there's a, um, a startup called sportscaster um so they allow people to do that um and you know they've got some sort of little deals going on um particularly in kind of basketball not not the nba or anything but um basically allowing you know the, the podcaster or the wannabe sportscaster to you know watch a game and they give them all the um kind of graphic packages um so if you're watching the the vikings versus the 49ers at the weekend you know they'll start your stream with the the right logos and stuff and then allow the the user to kind of broadcast and do the play-by-play um so i think that's got huge potential especially for for niche sports um as well as just people who really love a certain podcaster or star um that can kind of do that kind of play-by-play in a kind of more informal way which might suit a lot of um, users especially kind of younger generations well also um for back to the for the viewers end of it there was the ability to customize all sorts of stats and things like that maybe put yep. opta stats along the side or whatever um so like there's you know that sort of we'll talk later about like esports and like betting mm-hmm. and things like that but there's like just an endless possibilities there in terms of like you, like the the actual game image might be a tiny part of your window cuz you're you're looking at all this other stuff Exactly. Yeah. And obviously with the, the advent of AR and that kind of coming into the future, you know, you could just have it all just in one kind of field of view and just kind of rotating your head to, to see that. So, yeah, I think stats have like kind of really blown up in, in the world of sports. Um, obviously, I think the U.S. sports were, were kind of ahead of this. And, you know, you've kind of seen it kind of coming into the Premier League and, and soccer around the world. But, yeah, on-demand stats is something huge, um, especially with kind of OTT platforms. And I guess Amazon have kind of learned a lot from what they're doing on the Twitch side. Um, if you look at their uh, Thursday Night Football, um, they've got different kind of overlays that you can do, still watching the, the video screen, but you know you can pull up those player stats, you know, 
player bios. You can find out how old Tom Brady is, you know, who's his wife, that kind of stuff. If you're if you're of that interest. Um, so I think that kind of customization that the likes of Amazon and any of the OTT kind of platform providers will ultimately provide definitely gives a lot more choice to the end user. And it's not a linear broadcast with one individual stream going out to everybody. Everything is going to be customizable. Um, so I was at the IBC conference in Amsterdam this past year. Um, so it's the International Broadcasters Conference. Absolutely huge. Everyone's there from the world of sports, entertainment, movies, you name it. Um, but one of the coolest things I saw was that kind of, um, you know, the, the new form of broadcast Um so not everything going out over one stream, but all the individual components. So the sound, the video, the data, all being sent as individual packets. And then it's kind of um, put together at the end user side. Uh, so then the end users got full control of what they see, what they hear, what they um, can kind of flick through in terms of stats. Well, and then from, from the production end of it, think of all the data Mm-hmm. And the, and not only the you know the, the broadcaster can learn well this is what people are really interested in but um, the sports can learn that too like well this is really what people care about and and so you know there were some articles I think that you linked to that were questioning well how will this actually change the sports when the sports now have the data in terms of you know what people love people love the ball boy cam or you know what i mean like or right. or like um they hate the weight for um the var review or things right. like that yeah so that like this has the potential to change sports for the first time knows on a minute to minute basis what people actually care about Exactly. And it's kind of the first time we're seeing that kind of level of interactivity that people aren't just like sitting back on their couch and not touching a button. Obviously, with the advent of OTT and IPTV, the user now has a chance to like start inputting to what they see here and consume. Um, so that all data is going back to the, the broadcasters. Um, I'd like to know how the deals are structured. Did the Premier League get access to all the data that Amazon's collecting? Um, that would be very interesting to know. And ultimately, the teams, did the teams get to know as well? Because um, you're an Arsenal fan, I'm a Spurs fan. Like, does that information travel back to the the teams themselves? Um, isn't isn't it because it's so powerful, and because like what people care about is the sport? Isn't it inevitable that eventually, like the NBA will just have its own subscription offering, and they won't go? Th- I mean, they'll have to go through the platforms in a sense, and in theory, like people will always be willing to pay up. But I mean, why? Isn't it inevitable at some point that I'll just subscribe to the NBA, I'll just subscribe to the Premier League, I'll just subscribe to the NFL? Like, why do they need to continue to do these deals? Yeah, I guess the the traditional way of doing things is is the biggest market. You know, everybody's got a house in, or a TV in their house, um, so that's where the ultimately where the reach is going to be. Um, and obviously, the the big traditional broadcasters have a lot invested into the the world of sports. Um, obviously, the the streaming wars also kind of leans on their content, so the TV shows that they're um, producing and putting out. Um, but live sports, it's live, you know, it, it's appointment viewing. So the advertisers actually get their ads viewed and not kind of skipped over. Um, so ultimately, I think there's going to be a battle between the two. I think ultimately every league and team would probably want um, right. their own subscription service, especially the big teams. Because, um, you know, when Manchester United were bought by the Glazers back in 2005, that was the big uh, kind of speculation at the time is that they're buying this so that when the rights are put back on the individual team, that they can go all around the world to their 800 million or so estimated fans and, and try and monetize those individually as opposed to being part of a package deal inside the Premier League 
and just getting a cut. Um, so being able to ultimately own um, their own content all around the world. So it's going to be a slow process. I don't think the, the TV players are going to uh, give up easily. Um, I think there's a quote from some executives from, I don't know, is it ABS or CBS, but they'll do anything to get the NFL back uh, once the, the new rights are, well, that, are coming that, up. Yeah, that was my next question, because now you have all of these, now you have the streaming wars going on. So all of these people with, with deep pockets that are incentivized to try to build out their platforms. But at the same time, if you're CBS... Uh, and you're afraid to lose SEC football or something, because if you lose it, potentially, like, uh, it's been said a thousand times, that live sports are the only thing <laughs> that traditional TV has left. It's appointment viewing. Um, mm-hmm. So, are we potentially in this next round of negotiations going to see, like, just stratospheric bidding wars? Um, yeah, I guess that was always kind of the, the rumor um, that that was going to happen. Uh, but we haven't really seen any action from... Mm. Facebook kind of coming in bidding for for rights. They've done pretty strategic deals. Um, so they're like one of the the main providers of La Liga in India. Um, so it's not a market that they've spent a lot of money on. You know, India's got 1.3 billion people, but it's not really a football nation, um, and it's probably harder to monetize than the the US or Europe. Um, so they haven't really spent a lot of cash, and obviously they've got a lot of cash to burn. But they've been kind of slow in their approach. Um, and I think maybe the strategy is just to try and wait out the the kind of uh, more traditional broadcasters and you know try and scoop up um different offerings as and when they come um but i think the next nfl um kind of rights that's where we're going to see a lot of action i don't know if it's going to be a complete bidding war um but i think definitely there will be some slicing and dicing of the the different offerings and more and more going towards the the tech giants How do you make a password that's strong enough so no one will guess it and it's impossible for you to forget and do it for a hundred different sites and make it so everyone in your company can do the same without ever needing to reset them? Sounds impossible unless you have one password. More than any other product I've ever told you about, I can vouch 1000% for one password. I can't live without it. One password makes strong security easy for your people and gives you the visibility you need to take action when you need to. Any device, any time, one password lets you securely switch between iPhone, Android, Mac, and PC with convenient features like autofill for quick sign-ins. All you have to remember is the one strong account password that protects everything else. Your logins, your credit cards, secure notes, or the office Wi-Fi password. One Password's award-winning password manager is trusted by millions of users and over 100,000 businesses from IBM to Slack. It beat out 40 other options to become Wirecutter's top pick for password managers. Right now, my listeners get a free two-week trial at onepassword.com slash ride for your growing business. That's two free weeks at onepassword.com slash ride. Don't let security slow your business down. Go to onepassword.com slash ride. I'm going to a big AI startup demo day here in the city tomorrow, and I will 100% be decked out in Mack Weldon clothing. Why? Well, Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes, but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. 
breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. That's their Airnet underwear. Crazy, comfortable, but elevated sweatpants, the Ace Collection. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads, the Silver Peak polo. That's my personal fave. And ultra-soft antimicrobial tees for when you need to stay fresh longer, their Silver Crewneck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code RIDE. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code RIDE. Um, let's, let's switch over to eSports. Um, sure. This is, a, this is a, an unfair sort of big question to lead off with, but <laughs> just in a broad way, um, I'm curious about the esports market, like where it is in its sort of evolution. Like, are we at the are we at the point where the, uh, the the big major companies are coming in with lots of money? Are there are there big major uh, startups like unicorns in the esports space? Like, in the broadest possible way, like what's the state of the market right now? Yeah, obviously, it's caught a lot of fire in the in the last kind of two to three years, um, especially in the, the last 12 months. It's been constantly things that we're reporting on because there's there's big news uh, pretty much every day and every week. Um, but the market is still relatively small compared to the, like the overall gaming market and the overall sports market. Um, so there's some kind of um, reporting for what the revenues were in 2019 and it's you know a billion plus, but it's not much more than that. Um, so in terms of unicorn companies, like companies don't really have a valuation of, of a billion dollars yet right. in the Sports right. space because it is it is quite narrow and niche inside the gaming market. Okay, let me ask um, let me ask this in a different way. Is it are there leagues developing? I'm I'm, I'm sure there. Are, uh, the answer is yes. I know this, but yeah, uh, is it is it bigger on the end of like well, okay, there's um, an Overwatch league, or is mm-hmm. it also that these individual teams are developing into companies themselves? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's a, a bit of both. Um, so it's just very analogous to the the world of sports, where the NFL is a huge entity, but also the New York Giants, the 49ers, the Vikings, the Dallas Cowboys. They're all huge organizations in their own right as well. So you're, you're kind of seeing both um, kind of play out. Um, and obviously, the big gaming companies have a big part to play as well, because ultimately, they're the, the owners of the the intellectual property of mm-hmm. whatever game we're talking about so they're huge players as well and they've got very deep pockets uh, to kind of push out there so like if i'm if i'm ea um <laughs> and i'm organizing all of these um uh, fifa tournaments um mm-hmm. I, i'm assuming you know there's got to be a kickback to fifa there so maybe let's 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 go back to overwatch or, or whatever um so then like if teams compete in my tournaments, I'm making money there. I'm making money off the the viewers. Um, is there also like, I don't know, like what? Is, so I guess if this is a whole new arena where if your game becomes so popular that there's millions of people around the world playing competitively, like that could become the bigger market than even like selling the game or or in game stuff, right? Right. Yeah. Because yeah, when you look at um, you know, different kind of games like Overwatch, League of Legends, Call of Duty, they're actually going down the franchise model. So there's been kind of bidding wars um, between a lot of big companies and a lot of sports investors to get one of those franchises. Um, so, you know, the average um, franchise price depends on which game you're talking about. Um, but if you're talking about like League of Legends, it's 50 to $80 million per team, per franchise. Um, Call of Duty just started franchising there. So they're looking at like 30 to 40 million dollars there as well so that just for 
one team um, in a game that that's a huge number of individual copies of the game being sold. If you know it's like sixty bucks to buy a version of um, Call of Duty, you know that's that's a lot of individual sales. So it definitely adds to the long lifetime value of the overall franchise um, of the actual game and have the individual franchise teams. Um, so yeah, the the sky's the limit really in terms of how they try to monetize an individual game. So if I if I um if Overwatch or whatever does a tournament, then do they do that through the platforms like Twitch and or Facebook or YouTube, or can they? Are they doing that on their own? I'm, I'm curious. Like, then is there a bottleneck where then you have the platforms of Twitch, Facebook, and, and YouTube also uh, as like gatekeepers? Yeah, and uh, and that's why you know we've kind of seen the the streamer wars as well with all those uh, companies that you mentioned. Um, but typically, obviously, the Twitch is, is the biggest player in the market. You know, they got about seventy three ish percent of the the live streaming market in in the world of gaming and esports. Um, so typically, they're the, like one of the main kind of partners involved in any of the big kind of tournaments. Um, but there was some. Um, um, kind of insights that kind of came out of um, one of the League of Legends tournaments, you know, the, one of the World Cups, one of the big um, tournaments last mm-hmm. year, um, that YouTube was actually the the bigger provider of the the viewing numbers, um, that it was more stable, higher quality. Um, so that, that's really interesting that they kind of live stream on, on multiple platforms, ultimately to get the biggest audience share possible. Mm. Um, so, you know, when we're, we're talking about the, the streamer wars, you know, we're talking about Twitch, Mixer, and YouTube, but it's basically a proxy war for Google versus Microsoft versus Amazon. So a lot of interesting things to talk about there as well. Well, and then it's, I actually haven't been reporting on this a lot, but like every day there's another streamer that is like, I'm jumping ship over to this platform or whatever. And they're, they're, you know, the platforms are offering bonuses, but also I, I, I found it interesting. You or somebody was writing about how like the platforms can offer this talent, like these influencers, listen, come over to our thing, we'll write you a check. Um, but also, we have Instagram over here, and we'll help you build out your entire, uh, you know, personality and, and, and your overall influencer business. So, like, it's, it's, it's helping the actual talent evolve beyond just, you know, playing a game 12 plus hours a day online. Exactly, and obviously, like a lot of the the big moves um, from the streamer perspective was okay. Let's lock down a, a twenty, thirty, fifty million contract for three years. Uh, that's a lot of money for for guys that are you know kind of mid twenties is kind of the average um, of the people that have been signed for Mixer or YouTube or um, uh, Facebook gaming. Um, but obviously, you know, with the the likes of Mixer, it's a pretty new platform. So um, Shroud and um, Ninja were two big names that went to Mixer, and two of the things that they were kind of saying that you know allowed them to feel comfortable moving to to Mixer when their market share is like three percent compared to Twitch's seventy three percent, is that allowed them uh, the ability to have more time to focus on other parts of their business that they're looking to move beyond just being a live streamer, looking to become more of a brand produce more content, more evergreen content, um, but also the ability to influence the platform. Um, obviously, with Amazon being such a behemoth, it's kind of hard for them to have influence over how the, the platform evolves and how they handle live chat or uh, new features that they're adding to the platform every time. So um, I think it's kind of twofold for the people uh, that are moving. 
on top of the money, the money comes mm-hmm. kind of there. They don't really talk about that, but it's obviously one of the main motivations. Right. Um, money, but, money is always, cash is always king. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, th- these guys still have pretty intense fan bases. A lot of them would have followed them over, but, you know, these are only kind of exclusive deals for two to three years. We don't know the, the full kind of terms and conditions, but, you know, there's nothing to say in three years' time that when the contract expires that they can't just go back to Twitch and, you know, go about their, their regular business there, but they would have pocketed a lot of money and potentially moved themselves on a lot further in terms of building themselves as a brand. Cause when you look at Ninja, you know, he's not the world's best Fortnite player. You know, he doesn't, didn't win the world cup. He's n- never really been a, a top esports um, kind of player, but he's built the biggest brand. You know, he's got his own shoe coming out with Adidas. And if you'd said that like two or three years ago, people <laughs> mm-hmm. would just been like, no, that's not going to happen. It's going to be, you know, big basketball stars or hip hop stars that are going to have shoe deals with the likes of Adidas and now it's esports stars. So let's talk about that because we're recording the day after I got back from CES and as I said on yesterday's show, the thing that I had forgotten because I hadn't been there in 10 years is how everybody's there, you know, like companies you would never, what, what are you doing at CES <laughs> or whatever? Um, so, uh, you know, there, I did the story about like the gamer socks and things like that, but the idea that, um, that like you would have not only streamers uh with their own branded shoes and things like that but the fact that like sports tech and shoe tech and wearable tech and all this stuff like it's all it's all tech now like um was there what what are some of the things just off the top of your head um i know you were covering cs this week too that that Mm -hmm. you saw that was sort of turned your head a bit um yeah i guess just to, to follow on to your point you know like software is eating the world and you know sports has been one of the slower adopters i guess um you know it's kind of been a kind of mon- monopoly you know nfl owns the nfl and they kind of do things on their own terms um but we're kind of seeing that kind of completely change um so yeah there was a lot of kind of peloton competitors um not strictly bikes but you know doing connected rowing machines and treadmills smart mirror everything like smart yeah. mirror everything yeah, yeah and you know what peloton have done incredibly well is obviously selling a premium product but also building a, a whole ecosystem that is not just a standalone piece of hardware um you know the the live classes the on-demand classes um have really kind of boosted their um uptake and keeping people honest and actually using the the expensive piece of equipment that they've used and i guess that's where the smart mirrors kind of come in as well you know obviously you can display a lot of data you know like your your heart rate if you've got your fitness tracker connected to it um to keep you in that kind of fat burning kind of zone or whatever uh, but it also kind of delivers uh, the potential for for live streaming classes um because you know that's been a huge um, breadwinner for Peloton and that kind of recurring subscription uh, kind of revenue is something that every company in the world is kind of looking for right now. And uh, specifically in the, the world of sports and fitness, um, it's hugely important because if you're just selling people the piece of equipment, you know, that's a one-off lifetime value there and done. But if you can get people subscribed and keep people coming back and uh, that's where, you know, the, the huge kind of valuations are coming from. And that's why, Peloton is now public and it's trading at, a, at about an $8 billion uh, market cap. Hence all the, the copycats for different kind of niches inside fitness to see if people can and kind of piggyback on, on that idea of smart hardware um, connected with the different hardware wearables, but also delivering uh, live streaming content. 
When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID, and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation, where they check user identity. But user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that has its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months, or worse, that laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Octa-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com/ride to watch a demo and see how it all works. That's k o l i d e dot com slash ride collide dot com slash ride. Um. Yeah. Actually, final question. Um. Sort of in that vein of you know the the phrase I always use is what tech really means these days is it's impossible not to know anything. So with with all of the data that's available, if I'm talking about high level athletes now professional athletes but also like if i'm a if i'm an olympic level swimmer at this point or or marathon runner or whatever my training regimen is all now that you know you know the oxygenation of my blood on mile 13 and like how many you know the, the your shoes are smart enough to tell you that your stride is off or something like that like if if i'm are we reaching the cyborg level where the high-end athlete is essentially has so much data, so much tech involved in their training routines that it, it is, we're reaching cyborg level now. Yeah. Like everyone's wearing a wearable, so it's not embedded in the athletes yet, but it's, mm. you know, as soon as they show up for training, you know, in the world of soccer or NFL, you know, the GPS trackers are attached to the player from minute one till, till when they finish, you know, there's even sleeping tech. And there was a couple of stories I reported there about, you know, how do people rest and recover? Because um, it, it's all encompassing now in the world of professional sports. It's not just every minute that you're awake. It's every minute now that you're asleep has been monitored and uh, optimized for better recovery, uh, better stamina, better better performance. Um, so it, it really is um, the cyborgation of, um, of athletes. Well, listen, that's a good segue for me. Uh, Arsene Wenger has always been credited mm. in bringing <laughs> simple mm. diet uh, right. to to professional sports in in Britain. Um, the idea that you wouldn't go to the pub afterwards and, and have a burger and a pint or whatever, um, just eating well. Um, so you're a Spurs fan. Um, I'm an Arsenal fan. We have both gotten new uh, <laughs> new <laughs> managers this season. Uh, how, how are you feeling with things right now? Um, yeah, there was initial kind of optimism that's kind of dissipated. Um, yeah, we're playing Liverpool this weekend as well, mm. um, which could be quite embarrassing. You, you um, know what? Just beat them so that uh, our, our, <laughs> our, our undefeated season can still remain in the books. Ooh, I, I didn't even think about that. Obviously, I want to beat Liverpool to, you know, 
obviously for Spurs to win, but also to try and make the, the league a bit more interesting because it looks like they're just going to win um, at a canter, really. Um, but I didn't think that us winning could help Arsenal. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. might have to reevaluate who I'm uh, ultimately rooting for. Um, um, when you um, when you first heard the the Mourinho news, be honest with me. What was what was your reaction? Yeah, no, I, I was pretty shocked because um, you know obviously going back over the last kind of 15 years of Daniel Levy and Ian, I see the current owners of Tottenham, they've been kind of manager chip chop, um, kind of heavy. Um, but I thought Pochettino would get to the end of the season, but you know, it really was, you know, like kind of 12, 18 months of kind of average performances. Obviously we got to the Champions League final, which I think kind of papered over a lot of the cracks. Um, but I was kind of impressed by how swiftly that they kind of moved. Um, obviously they'd made the decision and then, you know, like 24 hours later, Jose Mourinho was in. So I think that really kind of um, impressed me just in terms of some actual kind of fore planning. Um, Cause you know, you saw the likes of Everton and Arsenal, they kind of changed managers, but then they had kind of the interim manager for, you know, three or four mm-hmm. games, got some results but ultimately it didn't kind of work out for those interim managers so um i guess ultimately it'll kind of come down to how jose Mourinho can adapt to you know the, the new world of football we're in a completely different decade um and you know he was super successful in the past but you know at his time at man united people were saying he's kind of kind of a bit stale that the old ways of doing things aren't going to work so uh, he brought in a kind of a young up-and-coming uh, player or coach uh, from lille so i think his influence over the squad uh, might be just as important as jose Mourinho's. Well, once again, Spurs helping Arsenal out. I'm, I'm just, I was afraid that Mourinho was going to come to Arsenal. So, right. <laughs> thanks for taking the bullet for that one. Um, but uh, hey, I, I don't, I don't hate Spurs. <laughs> so, good yeah. luck, good luck on the rest of the season. Yeah, you too with Arsenal. And uh, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. 